up, everybody? <clears throat> Waiting for Phil to jump in. Uh, this is episode Ocho of Snakes and Stogies. Uh, I guess I'll wait for Phil to get here to talk about my pairing this eve. But it's not crazy watered down because I poured it too soon. Uh, this one we are going to kind of get into smuggling, not like smuggling is in like why we think it's good, but there was a recent thing in the dark frog world that we'll kind of get into recently that kind of had me thinking. So I figured it'd be a good topic for tonight. Um, sort of how smuggling can, can destroy, but also save the species. Curious to get Phil's take on it. He's uh, he's booting up right now. Should be here any minute. Sean's here. Phil said I have to restart the Mac. The mic and video wasn't working. <clears throat> so, uh, should be interesting. Um, trying to do currently decide if I should rip the audio from these and upload them to the like to the THP SoundCloud, which would then take it and shoot it to iTunes and Spotify and Google Play. Um, now that we're eight episodes deep, I kind of don't know. I want to do it, but I also, at the same time, I don't want to flood uh, people's streams with Snakes and Stogies stuff. So I may end up uploading them slowly over time until I'm caught up, um, like maybe one every day until we can get it figured out. But uh, there's no THP this week. Well, I think it's going to be Sunday, actually. <clears throat> I had some scheduling issues, and Jake had a doctor's appointment, uh, which would have been tonight, actually, or today. So we're doing this. Um, Sunday, we're going to make it happen earlier in the day before the Super Bowl. And Philippus is here. Go! Boy, is it not cold down there? No, it's like 76. Damn. It's like 50. Yeah, I'm, actually, I'm actually sweating. I'm in shorts and flip-flops and I'm sweating because I just walk the dog and he's a pain in my ass. And yeah. All right. So oh. first things first. Has joined us. What is that? Florida Kanye. Beautiful. I haven't had it yet. So the Skip Martin, who's one of the owners of Romacraft, is constantly posting about this stuff. And so I was like, I'm gonna try it out. Got it at my uh, my local liquor store. This is the seven years, like twenty five bucks a bottle. It's not anything too crazy. Um, Good. But it's like it's a rum, but it's not spiced rum. It's mm -hmm. not. It's not like Zaya, where it has that sort of really sweet vanilla note to it. Um, right. It's kind of very straightforward. Like if rum were a whiskey, this would be it. Nice. It's odd. It's very strange. It's Nicaraguan, so I'm sure that that plays a part in why uh, why Skip likes it so much. So I'm gonna pair it with this LFD Chapter Two. Beautiful. Which is a Colorado. I, I figured usually. So I get this question a lot. Getting into to cigar talk straight away. Right. People ask. They get a cigar and they're like, "What liquor should I pair this with?" Or what whiskey in particular goes well with this? And the answer to pairing cigars is whatever pairing works for you. It's true. 
But asterisk disclaimer. Typically, my general rule is I don't want the color of the cigar to be darker or lighter than what I'm drinking it with. So I want them to kind of match color-wise. Like if it's something really dark, like if you're drinking uh, the Kraken, which is a spiced rum, right. um, that would probably go really well with a really dark broadleaf Madero. Yeah. Um, something like this with this Colorado, I, I really want to try it with a Neanderthal, but this uh, this Florida Canya with either an Aquitaine or a Neanderthal would probably be very good. So Excellent. I'm going to try it with this Colorado Capitulo too, because I haven't had one of these in a minute. I love these things. Uh, this is the Colorado wrapper. So there's this and there's a Brazilian, which is like pitch black. The wrapper on that's so yeah. beautiful. It's dark. Yeah. Brazilian leaf, man. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do feel bad for our followers. Uh, it's snowing and it's 36 wherever they are. Yeah, and that sucks. That sucks. I mean, I, I bitch and moan how hot Florida is, but like I am realistically in shorts in January, which is pretty cool. See, I like the cold. I just don't like snow. Like I draw the line at snow. I love snow. I don't like working in it. I don't think you can find anywhere on the planet where it's going to be cold, but not snow. If that makes sense. (laughs) Brand mine is blown. Blown. Yeah, I mean, you just, if you're going to do something like a light scotch, um, you're going to do like a light Connecticut. You're not going to do, you don't want to do anything like you don't want a cigar that's so strong that's going to overpower like a light scotch, you know, right. to where you're not really going to taste. You want them to complement each other. You want them to, you want them to do the dance. Yeah, of course. And what's funny is now that we're jumping into this uh, pairings talk, so it is basically known that if you're a gin drinker, you don't pair gin with smokes. You just mm-hmm. don't. Uh, something about the juniper overpowers the that's, tobacco. That's a hard liquor to work with. Period, man. It is. That's that's doesn't really doesn't go it well is. with much of anything. You know. Now, I am a gin drinker. Mm-hmm. I enjoy my gin. I, I like several different types of gin. I have found that with a Habano wrap or even a Connecticut, if I do a for example, not to sound like a bougie son of a bitch, but if I do a Monkey 47 with no mixer, it complements very well for me. I mean, I am a ginger. My dad yells at me. He goes, I don't know how you drink those pine needles. But it's an odd, it's just an odd liquor, yeah, man. It's an it odd, odd, it's it's a you know, it's an acquired taste. Mm-hmm. It's just strange. It is. Now you can you never go wrong with a bourbon, you can never go wrong with a rye or a scotch. Um, but like you said, it's got a, the color's got to blend and I'm not going to do something light and airy or, or even like, uh, for example, Java's, I love Java's. I know they're flavored, but I, I don't I, see that going well with anything, but I'll do a Java and like a Woodford reserve and I'm content. I'm smitten. I am actually my, my best pairing and I, it could have been cause I had imbibed several glasses prior, but I recently have been doing a lot of the Wooden Reserve double oak, and I did a double oaked with a 1964 Padron, and that was the best after dinner combo ever. Ever. That was it. I mean, it's really wild just how many more flavors you get out of cigars when you do that, too. Yeah. You know, but it's you really strange. You, you and I are in full agreement. Nothing beats black coffee. 
Yes, black coffee will always be my number one pairing of choice. Like with cigars, black coffee, it's a palate cleanser. It, uh, you know, it just cleans your palate out so you're getting more flavors out of the cigar. Uh, I will say, though, second to black coffee is that rum I was talking about called Zaya, Z-A-Y-A. Yeah. I have purposefully and intent, like really tried to find a cigar that that would not go well with, and Mm -hmm. it does not exist. Really? That rum makes every damn cigar I've had stellar. Excellent. Excellent. It's am- so good. And it's cheap. It's like 30 bucks a bottle. It's it's an aged rum, so it's not spiced or anything, but it has like, it's sweet. It's got a lot of vanilla to it. And mm-hmm. for whatever reason, when you pair it with cigars, it doesn't matter what it is. It is just absolutely phenomenal. I got to do it. I got to try it. I uh, You know, I still have like a whole box of uh, Cohiba number fives, right? The mm-hmm. Maduro number fives. And I actually have an unopened bottle of Havana Club that was brought back by one of my friends. And not to jump on the Cuban bandwagon, you and I have had this talk about how <laughs> Cuban smokes are great, but they're nowhere near the monumental thing that everyone makes them out to be. But I'm dying to bust open that bottle of rum with those number fives and just really see if it's what everyone's screaming about. Could be. Yep. This is this is I let this sit too long before I started drinking. It's really watered down. Oh, it's all right. You got another glass coming. So I opened up the box of Envies, right? And so that's what we're smoking tonight. Intemperance Envy. It's a great size. I smoke those a lot. So I wasn't paying attention and I thought it was more of a Toro size. And no, should, it's they're like Toro. Yeah. And I'm 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 happy with it. Maybe not for tonight. I may have to smoke two tonight just because it is kind of stubby. But hands down, I'm not a torpedo guy. But Roma torpedoes, man, they cut phenomenal. They smoke yeah. phenomenal. So I this is one know. of the chisels. Have you seen the LFD chisel stuff where they yeah. have like the taper? Yeah, this is one. Yeah, of it's, it's, it's almost box pressed just in the tip. Yeah. 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 I like, like that. it morphs into. I, I wish I had not cut it beforehand, but see, so people could see. It's a very odd. It like it comes into like a uh, wedge, but a chisel. The the chisel stuff is crazy popular. Like I have people who literally come in looking just for LFDs with a chisel. Yeah, and I'm like, I got these, and they're like, oh, that's too much. That's too strong. It's too big. <laughs> it's funny, man. I was at Prime last night. One of my friends who lives in Georgia. <clears throat> in town for uh, business. He's actually doing stuff at the Super Bowl. Um, he's a, a bus mechanic. And uh, shout out to my boy JT if he's watching. And um, he's down here to fix buses for the Super Bowl. And uh, we went out and when we were in the humidor at the, at the, sh- at the bar, the, a guy came in and he's like, I'm new to this. I don't know what to do. And like all of us, like there was like four or five guys in there at the same time. We all were like VSG, like in unison. <laughs> And I realized it's probably been like six, seven months since I smoked in Ashton. So I'm probably going to grab some this week because I'm going through and I need another VSG. Yeah, I like Ashton's. My issue with Ashton is that they keep jacking their prices up every year, like clockwork. Yep, yep, yep. It yep. happens. They raise their prices and it's getting to the point where I'm like, no one's going to be buying these anymore because you guys are literally getting a standard Connecticut, which their Connecticut's are very good, but they're getting them up into yeah. like the $14. Like we sell the Churchill for thirteen fifty, I think. And I'm wow. sure that's cheap compared to other places. It's like 18 bucks by me. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, it's Boca. What do you expect? Right. But 
it just, it's it's ridiculous, man. Like they keep. That's why I don't smoke them that much because it's like if I'm gonna spend thirteen or fourteen dollars on my smoke, I'm gonna get a Liga or something or a Padron, you know? Exactly, exactly, man. That sixty-four Padron, man. It just did it for me that night. Uh oh. Rustled your jimmies. Rustled my jimmies. This stuff is just very smooth. Like there's very little burn. It just. Uh, it's like I don't like sweet liquors, mm-hmm. right? I don't like your Tennessee honeys, your fireballs, your like literally like watered down maple syrups. Yep. I like that's why I think I prefer scotch more than bourbon. It's just not as sweet. Like it's a little drier, yeah. and this is this is pretty dry. And I don't take you for a blended man. I don't. Ugh. Um, my brother-in-law for my birthday a couple years ago got me a bottle of uh, McClellan Ten Year, which mm. isn't an expensive bottle, but that stuff is very good. Bill no, McCallum, good. Yeah, <clears throat> I uh, got a bottle of Ardbeg. Good. I drank some of that too much one Christmas, and so now if I like if I smell it, I'm just like, oh my god, it's liquid smoke, man. It's that that um, it's an Islay, so it's it's really peaty. Oh yeah, overly peaty. Very, it's like liquid smoke for real, and so yeah. it just—it's too much. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said, I just went too hard on it one one Christmas party, and never again. That'll happen. But, That'll happen. But the uh, like I was saying before, you jumped on what we were going to talk about tonight was smuggling, how it can save a species, how it can destroy a species. That rat fine line, um, and I'll give you sort of the context of why I wanted to talk about this. So, if you're in any of the poison dart frog groups, uh, a guy out in Nevada. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to name names because I don't know. It probably wouldn't matter, but just for the sake of disclosure or non-disclosure. Uh, so, there's a breeder out in Nevada. He got in. It looked like a fairly good amount of. Uh, Dendrobates tinctorius. It's the uh, Tumamaque, or I forget how you exactly pronounce it. It's a beautiful. Um, and those, like no one that I know of, and granted, I could be out of the loop, and someone could have gotten them at some point. Um, let me look it up. Tumukumake. Is, is I believe how they're pronounced. They're probably the coolest looking dart frog in the world. I'm not even going to lie. I want some so damn bad. Any of the tanks, man, are awesome. Yeah, but these, like, I mean, oh, look at that. Look at that. That's crazy. So they're native to Brazil. Right. Uh, and as you know, or most people probably know, anything that comes out of Brazil is pretty much a no-go uh-huh. in terms of import and export. Yep. Uh, and so... This guy posted pictures of this big group of these uh, tanks that he got in. And, of course, everyone started free- – like, well, not everyone. A handful of people started freaking out and were like, you know, you're not supposed to have those. I need to – you know, there was, like, one guy in particular who was like, I want to see your your documentation that, that you got these legally. You know, I'd, like, he was, for whatever reason, the the, the police of – Of course. This. And – uh you know, it was kind of funny because the guy that brought him in, he didn't pipe up and say a word in the entire thread. Good. He was like, whatever. He seems like a pretty quiet guy to begin with. But 
So that all these people started freaking out and they're like, you know, this is, you know, this is horrible. This is a crime. This is illegal. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, and of course, some people that know the guy piped up and were like, hey, jackasses, this was imported from Europe, mm-hmm. not Brazil. Because guess what? In Europe, those tanks, uh, Mysteriosus, which is another species we don't have in the U.S. hobby because it can't be exported. Right. Uh, and I'm sure there's one or two others I can't think of off the top of my head. Those are in European collections all over the place. Like U.S. Yep. Nipper, he'll tell you, because Nipper's a dart frog guy too. Mm-hmm. Nipper will tell you, if you go to an expo, you'll see those. There goes my lighter. You'll see those Tinctorius for sale at shows. Like yep. they're nothing special over there. And, like they've been established in the hobby for a long time. And so it's, I piped up and, and said something, which I mean, I don't comment on, on group threads too much, but <clears throat> I said, you know, on the flip side, by having these, we can now get them established in the States. And that takes away the pressure and the demand to have wild caught, illegally Correct. smuggled animals. Mm-hmm. So it's, it was just funny. People were very quick to jump to conclusions and assume that this guy, like, and I mean, it looked like it was probably 30 or so of these tanks. Okay. It was a lot. And so I was like, you really think this dude went through all the trouble to get someone to catch all these, ship them to him, mm-hmm. somehow get them through customs, somehow get them past everybody. And, yeah. <laughs> and it was, dude, it was ridiculous. It, yeah. I think they ended up actually like deleting the thread entirely because it just turned into such a dumpster fire. Oh, yeah. Real quick. Real quick. Uh, and here's the kicker, too. If I'm saving my shekels to buy some amazing product or animals, excuse me, buying some amazing specimens from Europe, I'm not going to pay all that money to get three or four of them. No. Right. I'm going to spend the money and make that $2,000 shipment worth it. That's why I'm going to have 30 of them. Yeah. No. And I mean, this is great because this is a species that. I, I, I'm bummed hasn't been in the hobby. And like I said, it may have at one point or another, and it just isn't anymore because whoever was doing something with them, maybe they disappeared, you know, they, they sold off stuff, whatever. Um, but like, yes, were those animals that, you know, the, the original breeding stock that those animals were derived from in Europe, however many years ago, were those illegally smuggled into Europe? Yes. I can probably say that without a doubt that they were, unless they were some sort of zoo stock, which I doubt they'd be letting that go into the general public because they're not that common. Or at least they weren't at one point because there was a point where they weren't in Europe. So it's kind of a... Or, not to cut you off, but there's a lot of species that it wasn't that they were smuggled. It was that 30 years ago, nobody cared. That too. You know, Australia... Like yeah. there was a point in time where no one cared what came and went into Australia. Yep. But go on. I'm sorry. Um, so I mean, yeah, those those original animals were probably smuggled. It was very likely. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think they've been in Europe that long. I mean, I'm by saying that long, I mean it's probably been within the last, if I had to guess, probably 20 years that they came in. I'm not right. sure. Um. So I guess it is. Like if you if you look at it that way, it's like, yeah, they're in the hobby by less than ideal means, but now that they're established, there's no need for smugglers to go and catch them and ship them out. Right. So it's like by doing what destroys a species, did we in fact save a species? Because now 
wild animals aren't being taken out of that population and populations aren't being extirpated uh, in areas, you know, so it's like, is it such a bad thing? Cause I mean, he has enough frogs now in the States to where in a few years, those things will not be hard to get. Like people will yeah. have those. Yeah. Uh, and it, that's like anything from Brazil, from what I've heard, I've talked to some people about, I've talked to Nipper actually specifically about that species or that, uh, that group of tanks. And he's, uh, some other people were telling me, you know, that government, uh, fish and wildlife, whoever finds out that you have those, like they will literally come busting down doors. Mm -hmm. Like apparently Brazil stuff is like, they don't play. Brazil and Australia right now, two hardest countries to get anything out of. Mm -hmm. Fact. <clears throat> now, what's funny is we mentioned Brazil is I actually have a very good friend of mine. Um, I'm not going to bring it up for obvious reasons, but uh, him and him and a couple other people have property in Brazil, a lot of property, and they have licenses to export certain animals, uh, not dart frogs, not really anything that we that we would want to play with reptiles right. and stuff, but <clears throat> in terms of uh, native plants, some birds, fish, um, they have a lot of land. It, almost all of it is zoned for agriculture, despite it being almost all Amazonian type jungle. And that's because <coughs> excuse me, they have area that they farm, you know, with cattle and crops and stuff. But they also have a lot of farm area that's jungle. And they leave it like that because of all the native species that are there. Mm -hmm. Now, <coughs> excuse me, if he wanted to export any of those reptiles, providing it wasn't something that was critically endangered, he very well could on legitimate paperwork. And U.S. Fish and Wildlife, both in the United States and Brazil, would say, okay, looks good. Send it out. Thank you for paying your dues and our licenses and fees, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll say this. He's done it copious amounts of times, legitimately. Now, are these animals wild caught? Yeah. Are they farmed? Sure, a lot of them are farmed as well, but at the same time, he's been con he's been accused of smuggling, and he doesn't show them the paperwork. He's shown me just because it's cool, you know, the fascinating yeah. aspect of it, right? But people jump on him and they're like, "Dude, those are illegal!" Blah blah blah. Where'd you get them? And it's like, "Yeah, yeah," because I stuffed all these adult tortoises in my luggage, right? Come on, in my pants. Yeah, exactly. Because I I walked them across the border in a duffel bag. Thanks, thanks a lot. And, you know, a lot of that, too, the, the keyboard warrior bullshit is just, uh, you know, yep. people not knowing, hey, you can't export stuff from Brasilia, from Brazil. I'm thinking of CAO Brasilias. Um, you know, not knowing, like, there may be some things where you can export them from Brazil. Right. Like, just like Florida, there's some things you can keep in Florida. There's some things you can't without this. It's like, it's sure. not just... So, I don't, I don't know. It was just, it was crazy to watch these people, like, jump on this dude without even knowing anything about the situation, you know, because I think, and another, someone else brought up a really good point. They're like, do you really think that he'd be posting this picture of them if he brought them in illegally? Exactly. Exactly. Like, do you think he's that stupid? Which, I mean, that's kind of stupid does exist. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. But I don't think this guy is it. Absolutely. Um, I have a acquaintance online who owns like 500 acres in New Mexico, right? He borders a 
big giant preserve. Okay. Right. He has rattlesnakes all over his property. Stuff that is found exclusively in that preserve. Mm-hmm. Is it taboo if he legitimately catches the snakes on his property and then gives them or sells them to me? Is there anything wrong with that? I don't know. That's He didn't take them from the preserve. They're on his property naturally. I guess that would be more dependent on like the conservation status. Sure, sure. You know, well, if it's like obviously if you live in Africa and you have the last two black rhinos on your property, right, you know, right, you're right. not going to go and be like, hey, poachers, I got two right. of them right here. It's on my property. It's not on the reserve. Right. But you know. if we're talking about tens, if not hundreds of thousands of rattlesnakes on a mountain and 100 acres at the bottom, which is not a lot of land, belongs to my buddy. And he catches me four or five of them. And here's the here's the twist. You ready? Not only is he legitimately catching them on his property, he's allowed, permitted, whatever. I don't know. The, I don't know if it's a hunting license or whatever. But he's allowed to kill as many as he wants. They're rattlesnakes. They're dangerous. They're scary. They're evil monsters. Kill them all, right? So, well, I'm not going to kill them all. They're 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 supposed to be there. They take care of the mice problem. They eat stuff. They're good. They they let you know that they're there. You know they make a noise. But he says, "Oh man, Phil wants some. Send him five. Meanwhile, now I have those five. I mean, I don't. This is this is we're all hypothetical right now. Um, I get those five, and that's the same thing. I got them legitimately, and now I've started captive breeding in captivity. I don't have to have them removed from the wild, right? Yeah." It's a tough thing to navigate because every place has different rules, you know. Right. As long as you're within the rules and you're not taking the last black rhino, you're good to go. Cox, I have not. I think it's coming tomorrow. Mm. Uh, Sean says conservation through commercialization. Yes. Actually, I need to finish that book, uh, The Invisible Ark. Mm. It's by the Barkers. Did I tell you about that? I got a used copy off Amazon. I paid like... Okay. Five bucks for it. Nice. Score. I got it, and it's signed. Who's better than you? I opened it up, and I was like, no way. That's it. And then I had somebody who was like, hey, man, can I borrow it? I was like, hell no, dude. This thing's staying with me. And Brent said, I can understand the thought behind policing ourselves, but when someone goes off on someone half-cocked, they just hurt reputations and make the hobby look bad anyway, which they want to avoid. You're correct. 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 Um, now, let's talk about going back to legitimate smuggling because we kind of we segued off into uh, – God, I don't even want to call it that. Okay, so we, se- we segued on to legitimately removing from an area, whether it be farmed or captive bred or whatever, through legal means. Now let's go back to legitimate smuggling – to increase captive populations so that they don't have to be smuggled. Right? That was the initial conversation or no? Yeah. And, you know, to me, it seems like it would be as simple as uh, a legitimate business or person saying, you know, going to the government of their (laughs) municipality, that country, that county, whatever, and saying, look, uh, 
like presenting some data that says, here's what's being smuggled, what we think is being smuggled, you know, annually with this species. Basically, what I want to do is get X amount, take them back uh, and breed them. And then within the next, if it was dart frogs, let's say two years, they'll be, a, you know, they'll start being established in the hobby. And then that will therefore obliterate the demand for any sort of species like that. Right. <clears throat> it doesn't seem that unreasonable for me to me for a government to be like, okay. Uh, but you know, under the condition that it's just you, it's not you and your, you know, you got your five buddies coming along and they're taking 30 of these things too, or however many. Right. Um, I just, I don't see why that's necessarily an issue. But at the right. same time, I understand if you give people, you like a lot of people, you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. So what's to say like, yeah, totally. I'm taking 30. And then you come to find that they actually took like a hundred. Absolutely. Now let's go a step further. Uh, let's go into the shady dirtbag legitimate smuggler who's a bad guy who is doing it for monetary gain and unknowingly stocking the captive pool. So now his need is not even there. He made some quick money to get what he had to get, and now he doesn't do it anymore because of the – Burned himself on his own business. I wouldn't say burned himself, but he did it unknowingly. He didn't do it on purpose. He wasn't like, I'm going to I'm gonna fuel this 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 pet trade with, with endangered species so that they don't take them from the wild. No, right. he wanted to get a buck and yeah, unknowingly no. did it. That's um, what I'm saying. He's, he burned himself without yeah, even realizing yeah. it. Now, who's to say that people still won't buy his smuggled stuff? Of course they will. But it's not going to be as desirable as the captive bred stuff, most definitely. Um, I'm going to tell a story that, to the best of my knowledge, is completely true. And I'm going to probably piss off some people if they actually watch it. But there was a gentleman who happened to live in an island nation in the South Pacific where they have really really cool green geckos if you catch my drift china absolutely no 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 coronavirus so, yes they're snow geckos yes so he happens to live there happens to have some land happens to have these green geckos all over his property also happens to have a brother that lives in the southeast u.s and he managed to get 15 or 20 of these geckos from his backyard to the southeast U.S. Sells Weird. Them for, crazy, right? Sells them for an exuberant amount of money. Unknowingly to guys that knew exactly what they were and knew exactly what they were buying. And now we have a, in theory, a very good, diverse breeder collection in the United States to the point that, in my personal opinion, within the next five to eight years, not only will the price drop, but they'll be more readily available. I think that's great. I think he's a dirtbag for doing what he did, but silver lining, now we have access to an amazing animal, and it's going to be legitimately captive bred. And it's an animal that's not hurting in the wild, but it's protected so that it's not overpoached. Right. I mean, I guess that's what they had to do with, like, like Texas did with Alterna and, you know, uh, Subox and stuff like that. You know, they right. 
there was in, in the the heyday of of Alterna. I'm sure that that put a you know, all the collecting people were doing. They had to be like, okay, this is getting out of hand. We got people running around the damn highway where these cars are going like freaking ninety, not paying attention. Someone's yep. going to get hit and killed. Um, you know what I find really goofy though is like Australia. If you see uh, like you can't move roadkill and stuff, apparently, right. Even if it'll save wildlife from being hit by another car. Right, but all of our friends, they do it anyway. You know? <laughs> but I was, I think, is it the Complete Subhawk? I'm reading the Complete Subhawk right now, and I'm trying to figure out if it was this book that was talking about it or not. But they talked about sort of the reasons that they're, the laws in Texas are what they are. And they talked about, you know, not moving roadkill because I guess scientists do, like researchers do cruise yeah, and sometimes they'll find a species that they haven't seen in that area before, or they haven't sure. seen before. Like, and if someone had moved that, or you know, whatever, they may not have found it. So, I like from that angle, I do get it. But right, but I feel like that's super slim numbers. Man. Oh yeah, I mean, especially like Texas. Like, is there really anything in Texas we haven't found? Well, we're we still looking for chupacabras. No, I mean, not even that. Not about. I mean, Texas is obviously huge, but the odds that the researchers, which are way less than herpers, are going to stumble across that, it's almost better off to hop on iNaturalist and say, hey, I just moved this chupacabra off the road. Here's the pinpoint of where I got it. Here's a picture of it. Oh, six more people on iNaturalist have verified that that species is chupacabras giganteus. And now the researchers go, oh, well, crap, we've been driving around these back roads in, in West Texas for 15 years. We've never seen one. Somebody found it on iNaturalist. Now we know where to go look. I think it's great. I actually, I like I'm going on iNaturalist, especially if you go and you look at Baird's rats. Oh, yeah? Like looking at all the different Baird's rats that people find and stuff and just the different looks of the different localities and stuff is pretty cool. Um, I love going on iNaturalist and looking at foreign countries and seeing where some of my species are so I can try and emulate their enclosure. I mean, I'm not like hardcore enclosure setup guy, but I can dream still. <laughs> you know what I mean? I also had some friends that were traveling abroad and uh, for example, I had a friend that just went to Israel and uh, she's a herper and I was like, hey, are you on an iNaturalist? Are you seeing where your hotel is? You know what I'm saying? And she's like, oh my God, I, di I didn't even think of that. That's so amazing. And I'm like, yeah. Phil, you're my hero. Yeah, oh my God, yeah. I'm going to go to Israel and catch Walternesia. I'm like, okay. So we look at the hotel and there's nothing at her hotel. But eight minutes away, out in the field, there's a ton of shit. <laughs> now, Pokemon. Yeah, it's like it's like Pokemon Go, right? So, I mean, I think it's great. I also know a lot of herpers hate iNaturalist because that's how your spot gets poached. You know? Then don't put it on iNaturalist and just tell the people you trust. That seems like a pretty simple solution. Exactly. And that kind of seems uh, like the thing of like, man, I really want to brag about finding this here, but I also don't want to post it because I don't want other people to go and find it so they can brag about it too. <laughs> Right, exactly. Well, that's just our <laughs> egos, you know? Speaking of, speaking of egos, I find that the guys that get butthurt about, did you did you get that legally? Do you have proper documentation? Are there pedigree paperworks? They're just jealous, man. They're just jealous or they're envious. You know what I'm saying? 
See, I didn't feel that at all when I saw those those tanks. I was like, sweet. That means in a few years I might be able to actually get my hands on some. Mm-hmm. You got it. It's because I mean, that falls right into the the same sort of formulas, like the morph race. Like, yeah, morphs worth two grand today, but guess what? In a year, they'll be worth four hundred. Right. You know, it's like, it's like the really volatile stock market. Mm-hmm. Did you read issue four? Did you did you check the whole thing out yet? So, is issue four of the magazine just dropped two days ago? In case anyone is wondering, yes, it did. Um, I I read like a paragraph or two of each article when I was taking a break at work. I haven't had a chance to sit down on my computer and actually like read the magazine. I think it looks phenomenal. I love your new layout style and adding a little pizzazz to it. I thought yeah, it was cool. I was like, why am I not? Like yours specifically, that's when I first started kind of playing with it. I was like, why am I not doing this more? Love it. Making Love it. things so much more like interesting. and Well, dude, the magazine's gorgeous. I mean, and I'm not just saying that because I, I help in it. Like the magazine's beautiful. Like you and Billy are doing a freaking amazing job. But like you adding like the little heart rate monitor the hot yeah and the, like, yeah. And the flaming letters like that was just awesome man like the little clip arts you used in your powerpoints of course the, you know course. fifth grade yep 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 and i tell you i i i'm a huge fan of your sponsors layout and your ad your ad layouts i know how hard it is to choreograph that and make it not look like it's just a book of advertisements and i love how you do it where you have whether it be full page or partial page or whatever I also love the last page where it's coming next issue. That's phenomenal, man. That's the yeah, and it, you know it's kind of funny because I changed that because there's been the last two issues now. I put in like next issue, and I put articles that I'm planning on having in the next issue. But then for whatever reason, I get like a half an article, and the person doesn't get it to me, or like the Baird's article I was planning to do for that issue. I was like with all the carpet fest stuff and whatnot, I was like, I don't have time to do this right now. It's going to have to get moved. And so like, then I just went to Billy. I was like, look, let's just change it to upcoming or coming up, whatever. Yeah. Cause that way, if something happens, it's not really holding us to the next issue thing. Not that I'm saying there's people that are looking at that last page and then the next issue comes out and they're like, where's the article you talked about last month that you said was coming. Where is it? Yeah. I get that. We want it. <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah it just kind of takes the pressure off us a little bit in case anything happens that's kind of the name of the game with the magazine thing is like leave yourself some wiggle room because things are not going to be fitting into places as right. tightly as you plan for them to ever of course but you're doing a hell of a job man i love it but the love uh it. the advertiser thing yeah that changed a lot because the, the first three their first three issues i just basically put in a bunch of ads for friends as placeholders. And that way I had something to show real advertisers, you know, right. Hey, design wise, this is what I can do. Mm -hmm. um, but now that reptiles express is actually a legitimate sponsor on a month to month uh, basis. Um, you know, I had to get rid of all those pretty much uh, just because it'd be kind of screwed up to like charge them and then just be like, yeah, these people get a free full ad, you know, full page ad. Right. You know, Reptiles Express, <laughs> whatever. Thanks for the money. You know, whatever. It's not like right. that. So as soon as that happened, I pretty much cut them all out. But I've uh, I've been aggressively, well, I won't say aggressively, I've been actively emailing 
other people trying to get more advertisers on board. Cool. So I'm hopefully uh, some of those come to fruition. I hate, I hate doing ad sales. I did that at the magazine job before and it sucked. Yeah. But now at the same time, you're not reaching out doing ad sales and cold calls. You're talking to people that you already know in our. Some of them aren't though. I mean, there's a few that I've emailed that I like, I don't have any clue who you are. Okay. I, like I'd much rather send a, a random email to somebody than cold call because cold calling is like pulling teeth to me. Yeah. It's so painful. I think sales wise, um, some people are made to do it. You know, they could sell a brick to a brick wall. Right. I still pay other people. Um, you know, it's just, it's horrible. You know, like, I'm, I don't know. It's tough, but I sent out a bunch of emails the other day. Response has been fairly decent. Hopefully it goes somewhere. So we'll see. Good. Uh, they're actually responding. They're not just deleting it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm, sure. you know, initial email saying, Hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. Um, you know, if you're interested, I can send you some more information. I can send you a link to see the latest issue or you just send them the link to the latest issue and be like, if you want to check it out, check it out here. Uh, and then when, you know, then they're like, yeah, I'll check, I'll check it out. Send them, you know, media packet over whatever, send it to them. And then hopefully you hear from them from there. So perfect. But perfect. I'm glad we waited a few issues before we started doing that because, you know, a lot of them, they want statistics, they want numbers, they want, they want to make sure that the money they're, that they're spending is, is, worth it yeah. right know. and uh, you know i mean while uh, while the magazine's still pretty young still very young actually uh you know i think the the numbers have been pretty solid so far good um me and billy have a really good strategy as far as building it and on social platforms and whatnot and i think it's a trickle down sort of effect like put money into the social media platforms and then it you know that sends people to the page where it's actually they can actually read the magazine and then that boat boosts those numbers. And it just, you know, there's a whole strategy behind it. Yeah. I will tell you this. Um, <laughs> Cox, we'll, we'll talk off camera. <laughs> um, I will say this. Uh, I don't, maybe it's because there's four issues now, but in the beginning with the first two issues, I had a lot of friends that are not necessarily Herpers, but a lot of friends that wanted to read that because of you and me doing this. And uh, they were having trouble finding it simply because when you type in uh, issue.com, you know, I-S-S-U-U. Yeah, they spell it weird. Well, forget spelling it weird. The spelling weird isn't that big a deal because you could tell them, hey, it's I-S-S-U-U. It's not issue. But when you go to it, it goes to the sales site for their publication. It doesn't go to a search menu to look at the magazines and the articles and the publications that they have. Hmm. So people go on there like, dude, there's, there's no, there's no literature. There's no nothing. It's, it's, they want to, me to pay money. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not the right website. And now that we have four issues out, if you just type in Herbert culture magazine, wham, it pops right thing. up. Right. Yeah. So I'm glad that that has, I don't want to say fixed itself, but it makes it a lot easier. Especially if I'm going to send a link, I can actually send a link of all four issues on one page. And then somebody knows, oh, wow, there's four issues. Mm -hmm. Sending them one and not knowing or not realizing. So right. that came out good. Um, let me ask you this. Since uh, the NPR episode, have you got any more people asking or inquiring about Baird's? I had someone 
one or two people messaged me and they were like, one of them is actually a good friend of my buddy, Joel, who okay. bought a carpet from me a while back. And he was like, all this talk of bears has me really looking at them hard. Yeah. So I was like, then my job is done. Just got to get that, that panther his foot in the door. That's all I need. That's it. You know, what's the species name? Pantherovis bear die. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. But I started on the article on those today. That's going to be in the next issue. I'm planning on it to be fairly uh, in-depth. I'm not going to like break down the different counties and what they look like and all that because that's just exhausting. It's 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 a bit much for this. It is. It is. But, I mean, I, I do – like I, I've kind of just started on the first page, which just kind of talks about the background of them, like where they're from – uh, you know what their habitats like and then basically going into how that translates over to how I keep them and then you know why people should be paying attention to them um, I took some really I took my Nikon and took some really good pictures of my animals I need to get some better ones because there's a few that are a little blown out uh, exposure wise okay. um, but I mean I'm, I'm I'm doing it man I'm trying to I'm gonna put them on the map. Yeah, you are. You're already doing it, man. Look, Brennan wants one. They're awesome. And you know, Eric and Owen were like, "Oh yeah, you're gonna corner the market." I was like, "I don't even want to corner the market." I was like, "I just love these things, man." I yeah, you just want to build exposure. You just want to build it's, exposure. It's incredible, and I talk about it in the article. Like, it's amazing that there's so many people that are like, "I don't even know what a bear rat is," and it's, mm -hmm. it's literally right here in our own backyard in the states. Uh, forgive me for not remembering. It's Chris from Dark Horse. Mm -hmm. Dude, his fox snakes, man. His fox snakes are just slapping me in the face. And I'm like, no, I don't want any more colubrids. I don't want any more colubrids. And I see those things. And I'm like, oh, my God. It's like Canadian liquid sex. It's amazing. Bear die, king of the south. That's right. <clears throat> so, all right. So going back to the magazine. Obviously, it's only been two days, so you don't have the numbers for that. But I do. Back, oh, you do? Okay. Are they, <clears throat> excuse me, are they numbers that you'd want to even think about because it's only been two days? Do you wait a full seven days before you really get an idea of what, what's what? No. I mean, I'm pretty much looking at them constantly. Okay. Like, and then I them every day. The first day I looked, and it was only at like 52, like overnight, it was like 52. So I was kind of like, well, shit. I was going to bring that up. But... I, was I checked it today. Yeah, and it went from fifty-two. Looking at it now, to four hundred and ninety-three. All right. And meanwhile, I'm stupid. I'm looking at Chris P. Not thinking or realizing that that's Chris. <laughs> yeah, that's Chrissy's. Uh... Oh my God! Sorry, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> he was on. I thought. Well, I don't know if were you with me when he was. I think there was a there was a night where you couldn't come on, and so I had Chris. Yeah, call. he's yeah. in Badlands. Badlands yeah. hurt. Yeah, that's yeah. That's why I feel stupid right now, and I feel like super embarrassed because like I talked to the guy. You know, he's right there. And now I feel like an idiot. Sorry, dude. We have one person who read it in Italy, one person in Hungary, three people in the Czech Republic, three people in Ireland, four people in Mexico, seven in Germany, 10 in the UK, 10 in Australia, 14 in Canada, 359 in the States. Excellent. So can cool. you see who they are or no? No. no. Oh, okay. Right. But it is funny because each issue you watch, like you can, it tell, it even breaks down like page performance. 
That's what my next question was. And it's funny, every issue, it's like huge peak, and then it's just which I mean, that's the case for any magazine. Sure. And that's, that's why with advertising, like there's a premium for that first like five page placement because those are the first five pages that get the most eyeballs. Okay. Okay. There's a science. Right. What's funny is uh, I have a friend, uh, I have a very good pen pal, internet buddy, whatever you want to call him. Uh, he's a young guy. He's in Melbourne, Australia, huge knobtail dude. And, uh, he kind of took a hiatus because he was finishing school and stuff like that. And uh, I reached out to him recently and we've been talking again. And he found THP just looking for because he's like, he's like, oh, man, you know what? I got to I got to start looking at reptile stuff again, you know, and he's like, let me find some podcasts. And he found he found my episode. He's like, dude, what the hell? You didn't tell me. <laughs> we didn't talk for like a year, man. You know, you were working on some shit. But he, I think it's great that he found THP on his own. He's, he's, I think he's been listening now for like a month, and he's already gone through every single episode. I'm like, you're a madman. But uh, and then I told him about the magazine, and now he loves the magazine too. That's what I was going to ask if one of the guys in Australia, if you could see who it was, if it was him. Yeah, I mean that was just on the fourth issue. This is saying overall, Australia's at nineteen, but that be that might be nineteen just. No, yeah. I don't know. I was also going to ask, uh, bombarding you with statistical questions. So, when, all right, if I go to, let's say I, you post on Instagram, right, on the Palmetto Coast Exotics page, mm -hmm. I click the link to the ISSUU, and I look at it and I make it full screen, but I don't download it. Does that still count as red or no? Probably. I think it's anytime you open it up, period. Okay, cool. All right, cool. But like, I was thinking about that. All-time statistics for all four issues were at 4,433. All right. Which that's I'm pretty cool. – I mean, that's like a 1,000 an issue, give or take. So Yeah. I'm loving it. It's great, man. Hey, Brennan found it through the Controcast. Yeah. So now, when was the last time I did one of those episodes? That was a minute ago. About a month, right? I don't, I don't know. It wasn't Natush. It was after that, right? Right. Did one after Natush? I don't remember. You're asking the wrong guy. <laughs> it's your podcast. <laughs> but going back, going back to the statistics real quick. So now. Obviously, you're talking about the, the the spikes in in views or the time that someone stays on a particular page or a particular article. Are you getting an idea of what people are more interested in? No, it's just I mean, you know, like I can look at each page and see how many reads it gets. But I mean, just the overall trend. And like I said, this is with pretty much any magazine, whether it's digital or print, you're always going to see it teeter off as you go deeper in. And that's just people's attention spans. Okay. Uh, yeah. Do you find that people go to the table of contents and skip ahead? Good question. Because, like, for example, uh, let's just say they want to read Eric's article, and Eric's on page 33. Mm -hmm. Do they go to the table of contents and go, okay, Eric's page 33? I don't think it has any way of telling me that. Okay, okay. But I did do an, an episode after the Natush episode, and it was with James Oakdale and Andy Middleton, so – Told you. 
I'm, I'm your biggest fan. Dude, it's just like ContraCast has taken a backseat to pretty much everything else currently because it's just right. one of the, it was never meant to be like a main thing. It was yeah. meant to be like when I get around to it, but now it's getting to the point to where it's kind of like uh, GTP Keeper Radio where I'm putting out an episode like once a quarter. And uh, so ramp it up a little bit. I just, know? I've been just I've been too busy with Carpet Fest stuff. That's been the big thing is getting out from under this Carpet Fest auction. Next week it'll all be good. Dude, I'm I I can't wait. Like I uh like I said last last episode, like I'm just I'm getting there and I ain't doing shit. Smoking intemperances. I've done my time. But I mean I will say, as far as THP goes, we're at forty five thousand five hundred plays overall. Excellent. Excellent. Pretty cool. Love it. It's awesome, man. You guys work hard for that shit. I love it. So, all right. So we kind of took a, uh, as much as I want to talk more about the magazine, we kind of took a a back seat from the initial, for lack of a better word, smuggling conversation. Yes. Do we want to dive back into that? Yeah. I don't know what else there is to dive into. How do you feel about species? How do you feel about species that were in danger or threatened? Now they're not. And they still don't allow them to be harvested or collected for fear that they're going to mess it up. How do you feel about that? I think it's a, it's a little bit of a slipperier slope than what we talked about previously, like previous scenarios. Right. But if you're going to do it, that's probably the time to do it, you know, before something else happens. Right. And I mean, with, with pretty much any species that's in trouble, people have to remember over collection isn't usually the biggest problem. It's habitat destruction. That's taking right. species away. It's not people shoving frogs and stuff in hundreds in their pants, you know, and hopping on a plane and flying off. Like it's literally people flattening jungles and stuff or farming or agriculture or anything like that. Cows, uh, cattle. Yep. Feral cats. That too. Have you ever seen the picture of the King Brown murdering the feral cat? Mm -mm. Oh my gosh. You have to see it. Coxsetter Bowellen smuggled, yes or no? Uh, he says he sees a lot of captive hatch stuff on Facebook. Or farm bread. Uh, he sees a lot of captive hatch or farm bread stuff. Cox, that is more or less dependent on which side of the island they came from. I can pretty much guarantee you if they are in the... Uh, if they're for sale and they're sold as uh, captive hatched or farm bread, they probably came from the left side of everything where it's legal to export. Right. Um, and I also, I don't know if they're actually, like, struggling as far as population goes. I also, I'm pretty sure that they're very coveted uh, by locals because they know what they are. And they know that through legitimate means, they probably they, their monetary value is great. So I, I've actually heard stories of guys getting, smugglers getting 
attacked by locals for smuggling. Yeah, I mean, reading reading the so I I got Carl Sweetex's uh, Adventures in Green Green Python Country, um, which is basically his basically like a, a memoir of his travels to PNG in the seventies. Uh, I got 171 pages in and then I stopped reading it because it's not that awesome of a book. I'm going to do a review of it in the magazine. Right. Um, it's, it's all like, just to break it down real quick, it's all very over the top. There's a ton of dialogue in it that I'm like, there's no way you remembered that conversation. Yeah. 40 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Or however long, 50 years ago, even. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's kind of like, I'm calling bullshit. <clears throat> so I stopped reading it because some of it was just, it, I, I rolled my eyes so many times reading that book. I was like, I don't know if I can finish this. Um, but he talks about how like the locals would bring, like they'd tell, they'd go into a, a village or something to stay while they were in a certain part of Papua. And they'd tell the villagers, like, this is what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. And he said, sure enough, like they'd bring him like monitors. They'd bring him scrub pythons. They'd bring him like all kinds of stuff. Cause they know that he was like, he'd tell them, Hey, I'll pay you. Right. And, I mean, you're talking like, Australian US dollars for these people, like $2 in Australian dollars is like, they're rich. Yeah. Like they're paying, they're literally paying these people like $10 for a freaking green tree pipe on. Wow. And these people are like high on the hog, man. They're like, <laughs> they're balling out with their two bucks. Cause I guess they're that money, you know, in terms of currency and exchange rate and stuff, it's like big bucks. Yeah. So they were bringing them all kinds of stuff. And then he said, some of them, if you told them you didn't want it, they just kill it on the spot and eat it. Because <laughs> wow. they eat a lot of that stuff. Yeah. But I can see them doing that to where they know, like, hey, that guy's got something that we know is going to get us paid. Like, let's go eat him instead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not to switch gears, but I found that photo. So this was put out. Uh, it was taken by a photographer in Australia by the Australian Wildlife Conser uh, Conservancy. Excuse me. So the story goes that the Mulga was attacked by the cat, domestic feral cat. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I guess the cat's eye was already messed up from a previous fight or whatever. But the cat tried to eat the Mulga. The Mulga wrapped itself around the cat in a colubrid fashion, pumped it full of venom, and the cat died with the snake in its mouth. And then the snake slowly died of its wounds, you know. But this is the photo, and sorry for anyone who's squeamish or doesn't want to see dead animals. My apologies. You know, hide your children, whatever. But basically, let me see if I can get that. Damn. That looks familiar. I may have seen that. That's yep. wild. And then all the blood on the cat's face is actual hemorrhaging from yeah. cardiotoxic venom. Um, it's not from biting the snake. So I, I think that that, that picture is a great picture. Um for like a multitude of reasons. And yeah, I'm, I read that Chris, when you first put it up and I was, that was like my next thing to just to dive back into that. Um, I was going to bring up, uh, there was a boa and I, I've been trying to find out what it was. My late mentor told me about this, uh, 10 years ago, there was a boa and I thought it was a Christmas Island boa, but to, from my research, Christmas Island, uh, does not have any native, legit snakes they only have blind snakes that are native everything else like wolf snakes those are yeah. um 
because I thought it was some kind of Kendoya of some type. Um, but there was a, I don't know if it was Oxford or Cambridge, one of the British universities, went to the island, took all the boas off the island, because there's only like 15 or 20 left in existence, took them all back to England, and now has been successfully breeding them in captivity. And that's the only species, that's the only specimens left of that species. Mm -hmm. So essentially, they're not extinct, but they're, they're extremely extirpated from their home range. Yeah. Um, what do you think of that? I mean, that's a prime example. You know, it's like people paying attention to what's going on somewhere. Saying we got to like making a decision like these things got to go or they're just not going to exist anymore and then making it happen. You know, whether they get reintroduced, I guess that's completely dependent on the ecosystem at that point with the invasive species. Because if there's so many invasive species that they know, hey, if we go and release 50 of these boas, maybe I'm going to be pretty generous with this number, but maybe, you know. 12 of them make it to adulthood, you know, is that going to be enough to, to resustain them? You know, so I'm, I'm sure it's just like, you know, triage with anything else They're you know, they're going to crunch the numbers. They're going to look at what statistically, what are the odds of these things actually making it and taking off again? Um, but I don't know. I mean, they did that with the indigo snakes. There was an article recently about the first indigo snake being found in was it Alabama. Right. In like, a handful of years. Right. And, and that's from them releasing indigos that they bred in captivity and then repopulating. Which I got to be honest, I am. Um, this is something I don't like talking about because I'm very uh, biased in this one particular species in this one particular category. To the best of my knowledge, it was the wrong species because the microbial. I heard, I heard about that. The microbial DNA pulled from specimen museum collection specimen of the Alabama locality of Dramarcon is completely different. And from what I gathered, Auburn University wasn't too happy to find out that they let the wrong snake loose. I mean, is it better than no snake? Right. Absolutely. You know, is the other one physically able to be reconstructed? No, this is not Jurassic Park. But still, it ain't the same. What do you think about the whole like bringing back a woolly mammoth by inserting the DNA from woolly mammoth into like the embryo of a baby elephant and literally. Um, I think the genome studies and the DNA education that we'll get from it will be breathtakingly amazing. I don't think it should be done. Um, although I would love to see a Jurassic Park type scenario where they make a dinosaur. I don't think it should be done. Um, and it's my, yeah, I mean, well, my thing with it is like, those were pretty much, I mean, those actually survived pretty late considering everything else. Like those, like, yeah, they didn't, they went extinct not that long ago in the grand scheme of time. Right. And so I was like, but at the same time, it wasn't really caused by us. So they went out on their own and there's a reason they went out on their own. Right. Right. So and it's like, they, like Darwin, Darwin worked his magic. You know, that's already to quote Malcolm. They were so busy to worry if they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. You know? And just so everyone knows, in case I do end up uploading this as audio, Chris said gargoyle geckos, though very common in the hobby, the gene pool is limited due to the French nickel mining. They will absolutely be wiped out in the wild. They're almost impossible to find. He said, but New Caledonia will never allow geckos exported. Right. 
Yeah, that's – and, you know, it also comes down to the Steve Rinella cute and cuddly theory. You familiar with this? I think I think you and I talked about this before. Basically, like, people want to save the pandas, but they don't want to save, you know, twin-spotted rattlesnakes or whatever. Exactly. Um, if it's cute and cuddly, we have to save it and protect it, um, regardless of its impact or lack thereof on an ecosystem. Uh, Steve Rinella, a uh, famous professional hunter and conservationist, you know, he calls it the cute and cuddly theory because the Yellowstone and the grizzly bears and the wolves are uh, the wolves in Yellowstone have made such an amazing comeback that now there's an overabundance. And we talk about carrying capacity, a small confined area, even if it's millions of acres, it's still small in the grand scheme of things can only carry properly X amount of animals. And now you notice that you know, Nat Geo did a whole big thing about, oh, the, we brought back the wolves and now the rivers are flowing and the foxes are hunting and the deer are making baby deer and Bambi's all adorable and spotted. But then again, now you have wolves leaving the park and taking down livestock and becoming a menace. And now you have uh, disease running rampant. And now you have an overabundance of predation to the point where the elk population even though it was leveling itself out because of the predation and the grasses were growing back and the wildflowers were growing back, now you have too much and now you're losing elk. But because the wolves are cute and cuddly, oh, yeah. we can't hunt them, we can't shoot them, we can't kill them. Mm -mm. And that's the whole concept of wildlife management is that if it's cute and cuddly, you can't kill it. You can't cull it. You can't fix the scenario. You know, it's it's pandas are a great example. Pandas are phenomenal. But Chinese alligators, nobody knows China even has alligators. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're not cute. They're not cuddly. I mean, I think they're cute. They're like little baby, little tiny little gators, you know? They're little short faces. Mm-hmm. Little stubby butts. Yeah, it's – I mean, it's it's wild. It's something I actually kind of think about on a semi-regular basis. Like, you being in Florida, you know that when it starts warming up, we have sand gnats. Right. And they're everywhere, and they're annoying. And every time I start getting eaten alive, I'm like, "Why are you here? You, I literally can't think of any reason that you serve any sort of ecological purpose. You're just here." I mean, it does. I'm sure it does to some extent. But if you think about it, if all the sand gnats disappeared tomorrow, what dominoes would we then see falling as a result of that? It would start with the microfauna, like spiders and stuff like that. They'd right. Know, um, small fish, it, you know, it's like kind of like the butterfly effect, I guess, in a sense. Yep. You know, it just, it, it, it's, I think people lose sight of the, like just how delicate a lot of ecosystems are. And you literally take one brick that's been there for millennia. You take that out and it's like Jenga, except you are like, you never win. It's one of the bricks from the bottom every time, yep. you know? Yep. yep. Totally. Totally. And I'm not one to be like a tree hugging, you know, hippie or anything like that. And, right. I think, uh, but it's just it's been it's been shown. You know, you take out right. one element of something, and it right. affects everything else. You you and I are very much on the same page. Where we are both naturalists, we're both conservationists, but we also know that there's a certain point when things need to be left alone or things need to be managed or things need to be reevaluated. I mean, that's it. Everything just, everything has a stasis. You're right. You know, you look at a, a, you yourself, you are not a hunter. It's not your thing. Totally respected. Um, 
I'll eat the hell out of some venison. Yeah, yeah, eat the hell out of it, right? But that's yeah, not yeah. your thing, and that's cool. Delicious. I don't want to kill it, but I'll eat it. That's fine. No judging, no nothing. And you look at something like the North American wild turkey, right? Wild turkeys. Great booze. What's that? It's great booze. A great booze. Great booze. Cox, where you at? Matthew McConaughey. All right, Matthew all right, McConaughey. all right. So be a lot cooler if you did. It did. <laughs> so you look at wild turkeys. Come 1975, 76, they're extinct. They're almost completely extirpated from almost all their ranges. And at the time, we didn't even realize that there was multiple species. It's because of the pilgrims and Thanksgiving. Yeah, exactly, right? And then you get an organization like the Wild Turkey Federation, who then pumps member dollars into food plots and hunting laws and conservation property. And they literally bring a species back from extinction. Alligators. Alligators, perfect example. Alligators, and and here's a classic example: diamondback terrapins. Diamondback terrapins. Alligators are no longer endangered; they're no longer threatened, but they're still protected. But right. they're still managed. You can still hunt them within reason. You can still eat them within reason. And I'm sure there's some that are for pet trade and skin trade and all that stuff too. But that's a classic example of how we fixed it and we work on it and we continue to keep it good and everything's honky dory. But when you flat out say, uh, no, you can't have this species because you can't touch it in the wild, but thousands and thousands of them die because of roadkill every day, mm -hmm. wouldn't you want those animals to be taken care of in captivity and captive bred and so on and so forth? See, I think they, they want that to be the case, but they want the people they choose to be the ones doing it. Exactly. Exactly. Like Todd, who works at Walmart or Walgreens or Huddle House, you know, even though he may be, he may have like mastered the species and he may know more about them and keeping and breeding them than any like AZA official would. Because right. you're not an AZA official, why would we let you do that? Right. Meanwhile, going back to what we talked about a couple episodes ago, the AZA guidelines say that it must be X, Y, and Z space. And when you go to the zoo, it has this beautiful, lavish, giant enclosure. Meanwhile, what nobody knows is at nighttime, that animal gets shoved in a box because that's AZA approved. But. I mean, that's kind of what's happening in South Carolina right now with the bill they're trying to pass. Um, right. Like, turtles are kind of the issue. Like, it's not any secret, like we talked about, that South Carolina is a loophole state when it comes to that stuff. Right. But when they're like, Oh, well, we want it to be every native species of reptile or amphibian. Yep. Then it's like, really? Give it an inch, like take yellow a rat snakes, black racers, green tree frogs. Mm -hmm. Like, you really worried about people over collecting those and shipping them to China? Yeah. It's like, get real. So, uh, and I'm fine with a happy medium. Like, where they've, uh, there's a handful of guys up in Colombia, <laughs> like hobbyists, and all, you know, that are in our camp. I've been doing a really good job of talking to DNR, SCDNR, which is Department of Natural Resources. Um, and DNR has actually been very open-minded and very willing to listen to what the hobbyists have to say because they're not hip to that stuff. They're not in the hobby. They don't know what's going on, like what's what morphs are and stuff like that. And so right. we are kind of getting to that point where we do have a happy medium. And if they pass the laws that they have right now, I wouldn't be necessarily opposed to it. My just Like I said before, my biggest fear is that they then say, oh, well, we passed this law. So now we can sneak this one in through the door 
and now you can't own corn snakes or something. Give an inch, take a mile. That's what exactly. Mm-hmm. Good night, Chris. So later this week, uh, may, I, may, I, may I get on a soapbox for a minute? Do it. Hop up there, buddy. All right. You want the mic? Four scorn and ten year ago. So this week, February third to be exact, the state of Florida will the state of Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, the commissioners, not the people of Florida, but the commissioners, will be voting on a new law that basically bans the collection, the transportation, and possession of tegus and green iguanas. What people don't know is, and that sucks for all the people that love tegus and green iguanas in Florida, especially the breeders, the farmers, all that stuff. But attached to that is a rider that says it will also ban all of the uh, reptiles of, not reptiles of concern, excuse me. Um, Forgive me for my lack of nomenclature. The invasive species, right? No, the the species that they deem the, 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 the bad ones, right? So right now, it is illegal in Florida to possess for personal possession Burmese pythons, green and yellow anacondas, North and South African rock pythons, amethystine pythons, reticulated pythons, Nile monitors, and red-eared sliders. The only tree snakes. What's that? Brown tree snakes. Not on the list. I mean, they are banned, but I think that was for different reasons. And and this is where I'm going to get at. You ready? So, to possess those animals in Florida, the only way that you can do it now, as of 2020 or 2019, is to have a Class 3 seller's license, which allows you to buy and sell reptiles in a business fashion, as well as breed them for a business fashion. You have to have that license or have the same license designed for education. Now, let's say you want to go the educational route. If you want to do the educational route, you have to provide Fish and Wildlife with a scheduled list of every single event that you'll be educating at. You have to Mm -hmm. give them a copy of your PowerPoint presentation. um, And then every single time you do a presentation, you have to have photographic evidence of you with the kids at the school or whatever, or your church group or what have you. So all of my friends that did Big Snake, they're all around. And that's the state's way of basically pushing us and squeezing us out. Now, I have the license to sell. Now, I put my renewal in uh, September. Normally, it's about two and a half, three months to get my my license back. I still haven't gotten it back. Hmm. So in the beginning of December, I got a phone call from a very lovely young woman on the phone who works for Fish and Wildlife. I'm assuming she's a college student who's probably some biologist doing paperwork. Interning or something. Interning, right. And she asked me to write a formal email stating my intentions for my application for my license. So I called her up and I said, hey, listen, uh, this is not an application. This is a renewal. I've had this license for many years. Um, And what exactly is the license that I'm applying for? And on the phone, she says, this is the class three license to buy and sell reptiles. I said, really? So what do you think my intentions are? She goes, well, sir, I need that in writing. I said, well, I can't just verbally tell you on the phone right now that I'm going to buy and sell reptiles. That's why I'm renewing my license. A license to, to buy sold. and sell reptiles. Right, to buy and sell reptiles. She says, no, sir, I'm sorry, we need it in writing. So I wrote an email saying my intention is to buy and sell, blah, blah, blah. That was the beginning of December. 
I got a phone call this past Monday, same girl asking me if I was going to be importing and exporting of Florida, these restricted animals. And I said, well, I'm not going to be importing or exporting out of the United States, but do I need a special Florida permit to do import export out of the state and into the state of Florida? And she said, no. I said, so what do you need from me? She goes, I need to know if you're going to be importing into Florida or exporting out of Florida. I said, well, if I say no, does that deny me? She says, yes. She says, you don't have to do it, but I need to know that you intend to. I said, okay, does that mean I can't sell or buy in Florida? She goes, no, that's the point of the license. I said, okay. So I wrote her an email. Would you like to hear the email? Sure. So this is the email right now that was sent to her as of Monday. And I'm going to read this with appropriate punctuation. So forgive me if it's a little long-winded. To whom it may concern. It's like poetry. My intentions for my renewal of the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission Class 3 license to buy and sell conditional species will be legally bred, buy, sell, trade, import, and export conditional species within and outside of the state of Florida, within the regulations of the state of Florida and the FWC. Thanks, Phil. Remember I said that that new legislation goes into effect possibly possibly right on the third well the rider on that whole iguana and tegu thing says that the species i listed or that are restricted will be banned so i personally think maybe this is just the paranoid conspiracy theorist that i am i personally think that they are delaying me till after the third and then after the third on the fourth or the fifth i'm going to get an email saying that i was denied I have a very strong feeling that that's what's going to happen. Be interesting to see. Now, here's the kicker. Remember how you said that brown tree snakes were banned? Yeah. Prior to 2019, there was no banned list. It was a myth. And I, I urge everyone who is good with state statutes to find me that list. Find it. Um, they basically had an internal vote through the commission to ban yellow anacondas. And everyone in the herpetological community in Florida basically said, all right, ban them. Nobody's got them. Nobody cares. Like, yellow anacondas, nobody has them. Big whoop, whatever. So they did. And that was officially the first ever banned reptile in the state of Florida, legally on paper. And that was their gateway. That was their opening. That was the inch that we gave them so that they could take the mile, in my opinion. Um, I got a phone call. I forgot to tell you this. I got a phone call two weeks ago before I went on my business trip from Fish and Wildlife asking me if I had any sea snakes <laughs> because the rumor was that sea snakes are banned in Florida and for good reason. You know, they don't want them getting loose in the Atlantic. I get that. Yeah. Um, but the reason why they called me specifically is because whoever redid the application for renewal, they must have been an intern or something. And they put the family of sea snakes on the list. So what did I do? I checked it. Why not? Right? I'm not going to buy sea snakes. I'm not going to have a At least account. you know they're now looking. Right. At least they're reading. So I got the phone call from a different young woman asking me if I had sea snakes. I said no. She says, well, then why would you put it on your venomous list? And I said, because I would like to, I'd like to get some. 
She goes, well, that's illegal. I said, really? I said, I would love for you to send me the statute saying that they're illegal. She says, oh, no problem, sir. I'll email you that right away to your, to your registered email, blah, 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 blah. <clears throat> and uh, we continued to talk. And I said, so, hey, what if I already had sea snakes? She goes, well, then they would be confiscated and euthanized. I said, really? I said, so Fish and Wildlife is going to come to my house and take my snake and kill it? She goes, well, in, in so many words, sir, yeah, because they're now banned. They're illegal. I said, okay, well, clearly I'm not going to have them added to my list. So the minute I hung up the phone, she emailed me, legit, fast as hell. And I looked, and I looked, and I looked. And she sent me every single statue for captive wildlife in the state of Florida. The thing must be that thick if I printed it out. Oh, I'm sure. And I didn't see a single thing saying anything was banned, including yellow anacondas. Couldn't find it. Was it like a PDF? Yeah, it was a PDF. Oh no, it's on yeah. their it's on their .gov thing. Because you could have like done a search and it could like put in that genus name and it would have yeah. anything to, that that was mentioned. Yeah, and I tried that on like thirty five different links, you know, and I couldn't find anything. So I'm like, all right, you, you got me on that one. You got me on that one. But it's just interesting to to see all of this transpire this week. Or two within the past two weeks, you know. So, and now my friend Marcus, who I was just speaking to about this whole topic, he is now watching us on his big screen TV, and I think it's amazing. <laughs> Thank you, Marcus. I know you cannot call in. I wish you could. You can join the chat just like the rest of the good boys, and maybe girls. I don't know. I mean, Cox is here, so mm, it's enough man to go around. <laughs> <laughs> thanks cock thanks yeah yeah so, i mean what do you like the whole the whole iguana tegu thing like with people trying to save the iguanas that are falling out of the trees because it's too cold it's like i when it comes to invasive species like berms and tegus and iguanas like i have no issue with people catching them and eating them or doing whatever. Like it sucks because the animals didn't ask to be there, but they're also not supposed to be there. But iguanas aren't going away probably ever at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, tegus, you know, I think they've, they've been, <laughs> they, uh, I think they've been doing a study on them. Not far from me in Georgia, trying to see if they'd, they'd survive because there were some sort of reports of tegus in Georgia. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> I don't. Which, which I, don't I don't believe at all. It's way too. Cool. I don't see tegus. I mean, it's just like the berms. They didn't. They at one point the government was like, someone told the government that berms would breach Virginia. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> it's that like, goes back, what? <laughs> that goes back to the uh, what? What do they call that? They call it uh, exploded statistics, right? Mm -hmm. So basically, the Burmese pythons are found in a you know thousand acre area, right? So they do a head count of how many animals are in that thousand acres, and then they multiply that by the millions and millions of acres of all of Florida. And it's like, no, that's not how many snakes there are there. That's that's physically not how it works. You know, they they don't go north of X Y Z road. You know, because it's too damn cold. It just doesn't work like that. That's one thing I hear in the shop a lot. Is old guys are like, "Oh, you like snakes? Oh, what do you think about the Burmese problem in Florida?" And I'm like, right. uh, first of all, it's not Florida. It's like Florida. it's like the very tiny section of Florida." Right. It's south. It's south. South tip of the peninsula. 
So Marcus, uh, by the way, my, my good friend Marcus, he is a, a longtime herpetologist for multiple educational institutions, uh, museums, zoos, all that jazz. He's been doing this a long time. Um, forgive me, Marcus, if I butcher this, but I'm pretty sure he has two bachelors, one in environmental sciences and the other one in um, crap. Now I'm going to forget. I want to say it is wild. I don't want to say wildlife law, something to that extent. So uh, Marcus just texted me saying that in 2013, there were 2,000 plus contestants on the python hunt. And they only got 83 snakes. Yeah, I saw that. Um, and he was saying that for this year, only 67 Burmese pythons were caught. And it had 700 contestants. Crazy. And now he's yelling at me saying it was uh, agricultural science and wildlife fisheries conservation. My sincerest apologies. But um, the way they report that whole problem, quote unquote problem, you know, the pythons are falling out of the trees. They're creeping up on your doorstep waiting yeah. for your chihuahua to walk out. You know, they're going after your your whatever tiny dog you have. They're going to find your children. You know, they're going to they're going to eat you. Remember how uh, what's his name? John Voight and Anaconda got attacked. That's yeah. going to be you. Oh, yeah. Don't leave oh, your front door. The world is scary. Yeah. Well, it's like uh, it's like the baby, the baby in Toronto that got strangled to death by the Burmese python or reticulated python. Mm -hmm. Come to find out. Um, so this is, so I don't know if people remember this, but there's basically a, a baby was found dead at home and there was a Burmese Python in the crib with it. Um, and everyone's first thing was, well, why was mom and dad not watching the baby? You know? Uh, but then at the same time, not to get graphic, but anyone who's ever watched a berm kill a rat or kill a rabbit. There are certain things you notice, certain hemorrhaging points, certain blood vessels and capillaries that have popped from the pressure, blah, 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 blah. The baby didn't have any of that. But the baby did have strangle marks around its neck. And the boyfriend, not the baby's daddy, I guess the boyfriend of the mom, uh, was on the run for some kind of charges. And they found him like 10 towns over. So who's to say that the berm really killed the baby? Right. You know? The media blows it up, man. So what's also interesting is the talk going back to iguanas. Um, in the state of Florida, you may humanely kill iguanas because of their uh, damaging effects to the ecosystem, right? Mm -hmm. And not just to the natural, that not just to the native flora and fauna, but also to infrastructure. You know, they destroy docks, they rip up concrete. Um, they damage the irrigation canals and the canals that we use to prevent flooding in certain rural and in and, and, uh, urban areas. Um, but yeah, you can humanely do it. You can't do that to domestic cats though, or feral cats. There you go. Um, but Marcus actually owns a company called M&J Ecological. And um, M&J Ecological, sorry, I'm getting bombarded now because people are watching. Um, M&J Ecological is actually the only humane iguana removal in Florida. And he's got a lot of uh, different facilities that he helps out, um, a lot of uh, residential areas, as well as some educational facilities and some natural areas where, you know, it's a preserve to preserve the natural native flora and fauna of Florida. Mm -hmm. It's getting wrecked by iguanas. So, you know, I look at the work that Marcus is doing and I, I, I think it's great.
you know, because now he's humanely removing these animals. And at the same time, he's increasing the, I don't want to say the volume of the native stuff, but like, for example, you used to be able to find green anoles in Broward County. I haven't, I haven't seen a green anole in Broward County in 15, 20 years. That's because of all the invasive species. Now that's on a small scale, but you think about all the destructiveness that the iguanas do. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't think that we should ban them because now you're opening up that gateway and that loophole. Yeah. I guess playing devil's advocate though, you, if you look at it uh, at, from the perspective of we're trying to get rid of these things, people are getting them when they're little, they turn big and then they're like, well, I've got like 10 of these things in my backyard and it can just go live with them. Right. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I kind of get it. I don't know. How, how, how about they ban them? Right. And all of a sudden, you know, let's say I have a, a I don't have kids, but let's say I had a 10 year old son who wanted a pet lizard. He catches one in the backyard because it was drowning in a pool. He wants to set up and take care of it. Now I or my son get slapped with a misdemeanor. How is that possible? You're gonna you're gonna find me and charge me for removing an invasive animal from the wild, helping the ecosystem, and doing it properly and safely educationally at home. It's great. Tell you you probably should have just let it drown. Probably. Which I think is inhumane. I told you about when they wanted they wanted to recruit me for the first ever python hunt. I told you about the shovels and shit. Yeah. Yeah. They said, oh, yeah, you're not allowed to use a firearm. You're not allowed to catch them and keep them alive. You have to humanely euthanize them with an axe or a shovel. I don't think the like, part of that go take care work. of this. Here's a bat. Make it quick. Yeah. Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> Make it painless, make it fast. What was that line from Jane Silent Bob? Make it fast and sexy. <laughs> what about have you so, ever yeah. seen any veiled chameleons? Um, I have, and uh there was a guy those seem like they would be rather benign. They're it's super fun, man, because like you're spotlighting and you see this big green blob and you're like, what is that? And you pick it up and it's this crazy huge crested veiled gorgeous with the yellows and the blues and the awesome it's pissed and it's ready to bite and... right exactly it's like why did you pick me up out of my sleep um i actually don't go looking for chameleons anymore um there's a lot of spots there's a lot of spots where chameleons uh pink toe tarantulas uh mexican red rump tarantulas were released in the 70s or the 80s for agricultural reasons um, and now they just have established populations, part of the invasive problem. Hmm. Uh, I used to go to this one spot on the west coast of Florida, about an hour and a half from me. And uh, I'm sure people know the stories, but I'm going to tell it anyway. It was a gentleman. This was maybe 15, 20 years ago. A gentleman had a good acreage of land. And he was a cricket farmer for bait. And in the 70s or 80s, he released veiled chameleons to control all the bugs on the property because there's so many bugs because you know what there's crickets now you have predatory insects and, and arachnids and all this shit well he also bred spurthy tortoises so um sorry i'm mr popularity so, what's that so mr popularity i know right just as we're getting heated into this so he 
he had chameleons on the property. He was a cricket farmer and he bred spurthi tortoises. And we're talking big adults he's had for decades. So we used to go and somebody, one of my friends asked him, was like, hey, we want to come and catch the chameleons on the edge of your property. And there was a canal that bordered his, his land. So it was like street, canal, the trees where the chameleons were, and then his property. Mm-hmm. So he was like, yeah, sure. Take as many chameleons as you want. Take pictures. He's like, do me a favor, though. Please don't come in the yard because I don't want the dogs to go crazy. And I got tortoises in the back. I'd rather have people not mess with them. And we said, sure, no problem. And we did. We went out there maybe 10, 15 times. Everything was cool. And somebody spilled the beans. And somebody spilled the beans. And Marcus is sending me atrocious pictures. Thank you, Marcus. Um, so some herpers went there that were not the polite and respectful herpers that we were. And they went on his property and they stole his birth eyes. They stole adults' birth eyes. Nice. It's believed that they used a truck of some kind or something. And I may be messing the story up. But regardless, uh, a couple weeks later, he's obviously the farmer's pissed. A couple weeks later, some more people went there. And trespassed. Whether they were stealing tortoises or not, they trespassed. And he shot one of them and killed them. Oh, shit. So he was totally justified because they trespassed on his land and everything else. And from that point on, I don't go looking for chameleons. Don't blame you. Yeah. I know that was a long story for a short, abrupt ending, but sorry. That, I do. I do want to see wild red rumps tarantulas, though. That would be pretty cool. See I hear there's a couple. Toes. Yeah, that'd be awesome. There's a there's a couple or uh, orange groves up north of me where they're rumored to be the red rumps. Uh, I want to go check that out. I need to make it down there for like a weekend or something, and we can go looking around. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll go out in the glades, and, and I tell you what, man. Like I go in the Everglades probably about. Maybe once a week, maybe one, like three, four times a month, I try to go out, mm-hmm. whether I go by myself or not, just to kind of clear my head. But I love going out there. It doesn't matter the time of year. It's always great whether you see wildlife or not, but it's not like the, the tourist airboat ride where it's the same alligator on the third turn every time because right. they see them, you know. You never know what you're going to get. So, like, I've taken people out there, you know, friends from out of town or family that's visiting – you know, we might see a bobcat. We might see an otter. We'll, we'll almost always see alligators. We catch a bunch of snakes, take a couple sunset pictures, and it's a great time, man. So, yeah, if you come down, we've got to definitely do that. Definitely. That's a stupid long haul. I just I always forget just how long freaking Florida is. It's rough, man. It's like six and a half, seven hours from tip to tip. Luckily, I'm not all the way down the bottom. How far so, are you from Miami? Uh, like 30, 40 minutes, depending on traffic. Okay. My my house is exactly like 34 miles from downtown Miami as the crow flies. Mm-hmm. So. What's funny is the Everglades spots that I go to, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> still getting over being sick. Um, so the Everglades spots that I go to 
uh, when people say Everglades, especially if they're from out of town, they're usually talking about Everglades National Park, which is a mm-hmm. federal preserve at the very, very tip of Florida, just north of the Keys. That's not where I'm going because that is very, very wet. There's very, very little roads that you can drive on and road cruise. And it's a hike, man. It's like 45, 50 minutes from me. So I actually hit a bunch of uh, public land that they call wildlife management areas. They're basically hunting preserve that are state land. Um, and it's public land. So I pay my dues and we go and we take pictures and catch snakes and have fun. Um, what's funny is because of the way that the Everglades are laid out, if you draw a line from my house to where I go, it's only like maybe 15, maybe 20 miles. But because I have to go around the wetlands, it takes me probably 70, 80 miles to get to where I want to go. Jeez. Yeah. Because <laughs> I literally have to go around the preserve because mm-hmm. that's where the roads are. Yeah. So, I mean, do you guys have like legit spots like that? Um, Jake has some good ones because where his parents are, they're kind of out on the outskirts of town. Um, every year we keep saying we're going to go get out there more and we don't, but, right. uh, we went like once, I think it was last year. We found some species of water snake. I think it was a red belly or something, but cool. he like, it's funny. Cause he talked up this spot. He's like, dude, I find like, he, he sent me pictures one night of when he went and he found like two copperheads and corns, like all kinds of cool stuff. Cool. So he's like talking this spot up. He's like, yeah, man, I find something like every time I'm out here, I find at least like five snakes, you know, it'll be cool. And so it took me out there, man. We found like that one water snake and that was it. <laughs> I was like, you're full That's of great. shit. There ain't nothing one, out here. One time I went to, uh, I was at, uh, I think it was Columbia show actually. And uh, it may have even been my first Columbia. And uh, my, our, our Bushmaster friend, Mm-hmm. He was like, "Hey man, let's go herp, and I got this great copperhead spot. We'll find like fifteen, twenty in a night." And I'm like, "Awesome! I'll get, I'll cherry pick. I'll keep one, you know." And we didn't find a single snake. It was raining. It was chilly. It was gross. And then finally, on our way out of where we were, I'm. This is the one and only. Yeah, this is the one and only black rat I've ever found. It was, it, dude. No exaggeration. I'm not telling a fish tale. It had to be at least six foot. It was massive. So Massive black rat. man, we get huge yellows here. Oh yeah, 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 man, love yellows. yellows. Marcus actually gave me a uh, gigantic adult female geriatric yellow that I have upstairs. Yeah, me and Jake have, have talked about maybe fine if we can get our hands on some some young young ones, right? Like messing around with those. Um, that's one of those species, and I mean, I've set up. Before I've said it a million times, but like I'm really surprised. Like no one really does anything with them. I mean, they're like, yeah, they're not. They don't come in crazy colors and combinations, and they're not neon colored or anything like that. But mm-hmm. uh, I feel like if you put some some time into breeding those for a few years, you get some really good looking. Do you think it's personality? Do you think because they're a little high strung that people are less apt to work with them? No. I mean, honestly, the, the, the big ones that I've found and come across, the ones that were, you know, four to five feet, uh, really just fat individuals, when I came across them, they they were pretty chill. They weren't really weren't all that that wired. Uh, not, not the case. 
So I don't know. I mean, the young ones have always been pretty, pretty quick to to come at you, but I feel like they probably outgrow it really quick. So forgive me if I'm wrong. Um, there used to be a subspecies of yellow rat that they called an Everglades rat. Yes. And okay. And the ones that we would find, it would be very, very few and far between. But when we did find them, they were usually decent sized. And no joke, they were as red as that Deftones flag behind you. They were yeah, I've seen some of the ones that are just absolutely screaming orange. Oh, yeah. And now I guess they changed it where now it's just a locality holotype. It's yeah, not they, were, they were like Ross Allen and I for a while, and now they're – Yeah, not. that's what it was. But then there's people that are like, it's still, you know, it'll always be Ross Allen and I, you know, they're, they're different, I swear. But I have a hard time arguing that when scientists look at the DNA and they're like, bro, these things ain't different at all. Yeah, yeah. But to, to dive back on those red ones, I, uh, I haven't seen a red one in probably 10 years. You know, I remember for a while, the state of Florida considered them a species of special concern, mm-hmm. which is basically they want to keep tabs on them where they don't want you to touch them and collect them, but it's also not threatened or, or endangered. Right. So, like, for a while, Florida they're, Pines... They're on, the, on the fringe. They're on the fringe, right. So, I, I know Florida Pines, now they're completely protected. You can't have them at all. But when they took the the red the red Everglades off and made it just a hollow type of whatever of the yellow, that's when I stopped seeing them. That's it. They're gone forever. Hmm. I had a Everglades at one point. It was a young one. Was it, was it red? No, it hadn't even started its change yet. It was still red oh, okay. and everything. How's that smoke? It's good. It's gone. It's gone. Mm-hmm. I'm about. I'm. I'm almost. I'm almost at the end here. I'm wondering if I should go grab a baby Liga. See, that's and I've, I've mentioned it before too. Like, it would my, I'd love to go out to Southwest Texas at some point, just to just to look around. You know, that's it, man. Want to see all turn in the wild? I want to see Bairds, possibly. Apparently, those are hard to find, but like, and I, if I found a very small Bairds, I would be tempted to take it with me. Like, if I found something young. How great would that be? It would be See, great. But at the same time, I'd feel kind of bad because it's like I don't really want to take it out of the wild. But and I mean, adults, I definitely won't because, like we've like we've said before, you know, if it's an adult, it's already beat Darwin, it's already faced the odds, it's already made it to adulthood, it's already established in there and doing its thing. Right. You know, neonates, it's not it's not really the case. Uh, but I'm conflicted on that because a lot of guys, especially in like the alternative groups now, like wild caught alterna at one point were a very big thing. And people still do wild like collect, but it sounds like now if you post about it in the groups and stuff, you're going to be prepared to be catching some shit for it because I guess that's just not the cool thing to do anymore. Uh, apparently like all the old guys are the only ones that do that now. Right now. To go into the ethics of it, right? You have a species um, that we we just don't know how many are actually behind the scenes. 
So you road cruise, you know, Bob's Road, West Texas, and find some badass alternative baby, and you're like, oh my god, that's amazing! I'm gonna keep that. And you're like, oh man, but I don't know how many are out there. Are we to assume there's not that many, or are we to assume that there are thousands that we'll never see and never know? You know, you have a road that drives through a piece of land that's literally millions of acres. Some mm-hmm. rocks and stones in there that have never even been touched by a human. You really worried about the one baby snake? I mean, if we're talking about Texas specifically, apparently it's damn near impossible to find land that isn't owned by somebody. But just because it's just because it's owned doesn't mean that it's actively worked. You know what I'm saying? Right. But from what I understand, if you're going to collect in Texas, you have to have permission from the landowner that you're collecting. Okay. So let's say you have permission. Let's say the guy don't care. Oh yeah, man. Take every snake you want. I think you taking, I think you taking one baby is not that big a deal. Now, if we were road cruisers and we found 15 babies on that road that night and you took all 15, yeah, yeah, that's no bueno. No yeah. bueno. That's that's how I'm looking at it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like when we go out to the Everglades, man, and we find that web, that screamer corn snake, and somebody says, hey, man, you think it'd be all right if I take that? And I go, sure, no problem. And then we catch five more. No. You can, you can cherry pick, keep the one you want, but we're not going to take all five. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if it was if it was if it was like spotted turtles or something that I know are struggling, I'm not going to take one. But if it's a a yellow rat snake or a corn snake, because I mean, bears they're considered still like a species of least concern, like they're not hurting. Right. Right. You know, and it's like, all right, you know, obviously there's not an issue in terms of that. But if it was something that was, I'd be like, yeah, no, I'm just going to take some pictures and leave it be. Sure. Sure. That's like me, man. I, I, all right. So like, I've been talking, and Henry just joined in. Hello, Hello, Henry. Henry. Um, I've been talking about breeding my Franklin Mountain clobber eye. For those mm-hmm. of you who don't know the banded rock rattlesnake, I've been talking about breeding that thing for almost ten years now, and that has come to my attention this season. Holy crap! He's almost ten. I got to do something soon, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> and I've missed. A couple windows to get captive bred babies, females. Um, they're not cheap because of the locality. But from what I gather, there's a lot of areas around Franklin Mountain, because Franklin Mountain is protected, but there's a lot of areas around Franklin Mountain that is either public land or privately owned where they just don't care. Mm-hmm. And nobody's field collecting them. And part of me wants to say, well, hey, Franklin Mountain's protected. We know they're from Franklin Mountain. No one's going to touch those specimens. But if there's other ones that are off off property and they're fair game and we want to take a couple, how's that going to hurt in theory? You know what I mean? Yeah. You bring that up in a Facebook group? Holy hell, man. I am the Antichrist. So. And I mean, just like with the cord snakes that I have, you know, all three, three of those are wild caught. I got them when they were small. They're now big enough right. to breed. I don't want any more corn snakes. I want to breed the yeah. ones I have because I don't want to have right. to take any more corn snakes. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like a, I guess knowing your limits kind of thing, like being able yeah. to say enough's enough. Yeah. Right. Uh, 
I'll go back to my swamp lions. So right now I only have one cottonmouth. And that cottonmouth was wild caught locally, sold to underground. Marcus needed it for something. Marcus got it from underground. He had it for a while. And now I have it, right? Mm -hmm. So it is still Broward County locality. I want more cottonmouths. I want to field collect them. I want probably maybe three or four more. I kind of want to do like a 2.3, 2.4, you know? Right. Am, am I a bad guy for taking those other four or five? Well, I mean, with copperheads or cottonmouths, I don't think so because those things are freaking everywhere. You could throw are they though? You could throw a rock off your balcony right now and probably hit one. Maybe. <laughs> but see, that's what I'm getting at, though, is that if the Lepidus that I want in West Texas or New Mexico or wherever the hell Franklin Mountain is, I can't remember, if there is plentiful or is bountiful in that region as cottonmouths, why am I a bad guy for taking two or three of them? It's... I, I think it, it boils I'm down to, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it boils down to like the K, the, you know, the, the vivariums versus the simple setups is like, there is no right answer. Right. The answer is whatever right. you think it is, but you know, there is a caveat to that. If it's something that's extremely endangered or something that they're actively researching and tracking individuals to figure out what the, you know, where populations are at and stuff like snatching those up. I think anyone with a normal brain would be like, yeah, I'm going to leave this be. Right. Right. I'm going to take some awesome photos of it in situ mm -hmm. and be happy, you know, and don't get me wrong, dude. There's a ton of species that I want to see in the wild that I have no aspirations of keeping in captivity. I don't, but cottonmouths, I'm going to get me some cottonmouths. And what's funny is I'm not a morph guy at all, like in the least bit, but the, to the best of my knowledge and Somebody who's watching, if I'm wrong, let me know because I want to know. The only morphs of cottonmouths come out of my two counties, Broward and Palm Beach. So part of me is like, see what happens, you know? I mean, that would be cool if, if that, you know, I had something like that happen with the corns because, I mean, the pair that I have together right now yeah. were found, you know, not even a half a mile apart. Yeah. I mean, palmettos came from, that was a wild caught animal, the original. Yeah, right. No. That's interesting, Sean. Do you, uh, so now that's a, that's a Colorado thing where you can't own captive bred native, but you're allowed to feel collect. That's interesting. Sounds like Georgia. Right. Back that's like my friend who's down here for the Super Bowl. He was, I don't know if he's still watching or not, but he was telling me, you know, Georgia, you can have native venomous, but you can't have non-native venomous. Like, yeah, it's, it's so goofy, man. It's, it's, and that was my biggest fear was with all this legislation stuff here is like, going you know, the Georgia are gonna, route. Are we going to become Georgia 2.0? You know, is that going to happen? Right. Right. Well, next week, when, when's your, when's your bill supposedly go into effect? Uh, I have to double check. I know it's it's kind of had to be sh it's been shifted around a few times. I think because they've okay. been making a lot of revisions to it. Um, right. <coughs> uh, 
just to jump back on to Sean, so what happens if you go and you collect those four, right? Uh, Whatever it may be, you know, Colorado rat snake, whatever. Um, And you have them all. What's that? Chupacabra. 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 Gigantes. So you collect your chupacabras. Chupacabra Wagneri. Wagneri. Yes. Chupacabra Wagneri. So you have them communally because they don't mind being communal. And it'd be a really cool enclosure and it's naturalistic and they're happy and they're pooping appropriately and eating appropriately and they happen to breed and you get these eggs. You not allowed to incubate them or better yet, if they're live birth, they give birth and now all of a sudden you have babies. Are you allowed to sell those babies? Are you allowed to trade those babies? Are you allowed to keep those babies? What's the story? You know, you need to pour another glass. Is it that time do I need to go refill mine? Because mine's been empty for like a whole five cigarettes. I don't think so. Because I have to wake up early and take animal fine. Dang. Whoa. So, all right. What's a, what's a I'm trying to think of Colorado species? I, I don't know any. I feel like a jerk. There's there's Aatrox out there, right? Prairie rattlers. There it is. Yeah. So, so all right, let's just say Aatrox, okay? Cortalis Aatrox, Western Diamondback Rattlesnake. They got a pretty good litter size. So I collect four Western Diamondbacks. They have babies. Let's say I get 10 babies out of the one female. I get 10 grand per animal? What am I supposed to do with them? Am I supposed to euthanize them? What do, what do you do with them? It's horrible. Take horrible. Mr. Smith is shaking his head. Are you pouring another drink or what? I'm not. I'll be out of ice. There's like nothing left. I'll have a little bit more. All right. Here, you occupy the fans while I go get more drinks. I'm not going to have a whole lot more. I'm just going to have a little bit. Just a couple fingers. Like a half a finger. Like a pinky finger. Half a finger. It's not even enough to get to the back of your throat. A pinky toe. Pinky toe? Helps if I take the glass. Usually does. You can anonymously <laughs> see you can anonymously drop off a box of pissed off Aatrox. <laughs> Be like here. <laughs> Why is it rattling? What's that noise? Oh, they can't refuse it either, can they? Because I mean, you dropped it off to them. You had, you did what you had to do. Checking the Instagrams while I'm here. All right, what I miss? <laughs> Sean, Sean said you can anonymously drop them off at a DOW office. <laughs> wow. That's hilarious. <laughs> Like, hey, oh you asked God. you asked for it. You wanted them. You got them. Wow. And then what do they do? They euthanize them, right? Probably. Probably. So I just walked in. I had uh, I had Ken Burns, the West, 
on Netflix playing for the dog just so he's like entertained. And yeah, I'm that guy. And uh, I walk in, they're talking about Western expansion and Mormonism and how polygamy and like the like some ladies narrating about some uh, uh, excerpt from the Mormon Bible about polygamy. And I'm just like, dude, what are you watching? Dog looks at me like. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. Don't worry about it. What do you think about the whole locality thing? Do you think the like because I'm I'm kind of on the opinion that like the locality thing has now sort of gotten out of hand with some some species. Uh, I have lots of thoughts about that, but I didn't cut this. I have to go cut this. I'll be right back. I'm that guy. Sorry. God. Talk amongst yourselves. This is awkward. She's supposed to sit here. I gotta put up with a lot here. Huh? What? Huh? Hmm? Oh. Oh, I just walked by the uh, the carpet python rack, and I literally, as I walk by, I hear doom, 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 doom. Because <laughs> they're all just pegging the, pegging the tubs. <laughs> oh, man. Andy, I'm not talking about locality green trees. Like I understand, like that's that's a legitimate thing because you can actually see a difference in localities. I'm talking about like the species where you can't tell. Like if you get locality Mexican black king snakes and they all look the same, at some point are you? Yeah. Like, this is bullshit. So, all right, California king snakes. Mm-hmm. It is to my knowledge the California king snakes, the more inland you go, the whiter they are, right? And the more to the coast you go, the more yellow, right? I wouldn't know. Pretty sure that's how it is. Maybe I have it backwards. I don't know. But someone who says, I want to strictly breed coastal yellows, I don't see a problem with that. You know? Yeah, but that's that's what I'm saying is like you can tell like localities are legitimate because they actually look different from one another. Right, right, right. Okay, you're talking about the guy like you said the Mexican black kings where Just regardless of example, from, right, it's gonna look like a Mexican black king. It's black, right? Now, what about certain species that are so niche that you and I can't tell, but somebody can point out the differences to us, like Alterna. Like Alterna. There's some or, Alterna where you can get like an E. Sanderson and then you see one that's like a uh, black gap. And you're like, how do you tell the difference? Because I had like the ones that my dad hatched out. That right. Was two, those, both those clutches were an E. Sanderson male to an unknown. One of them was an unknown female. One of them was an E. Sanderson female. But there were a few babies that came out of that clutch where they looked kind of like black gaps. And so it's like, how do you tell? And I mean, there's guys out there that could probably look at it right away and be like, yeah, that's that's an East Anderson. Like, that's a black gap. That's a, you know, I think the exception is like Christmas mountains because Christmas mountains do look 
hugely fairly different from everything else, but, uh, you know, to the untrained eye, it's like, yeah, it's just, that's a, that's a great man of King snake for me, Sanderson. All right. But yeah, I, just, I, I don't know. I just, sometimes I think it just, the locality thing gets taken too far. Sure. Sure. Now I knew a guy who I can't remember what species it was. I'm assuming it was Nerodia, but he had like almost one from every Southern County of Florida. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's cool. But you also have a lot of the same species of snake that look exactly the same. Well, like Chris's. Chris is different because Chris's had like, you know, he did the Nerodi article and I had a bunch of different pictures of the different localities and each of them looked different. Like each of them looked. Right. Right. No, great Eastern King snakes, prime example. Yeah. Chain Kings. Like the Chain Kings chain down king. here look completely different from the Chain Kings in Chesapeake. Mm hmm. Agreed. You know one of my favorite snakes is, and I'm very, very sad that I can't get them anymore? Outer Banks. Yeah, those are cool. Boy, I love me some Outer Banks chain kings. Gorgeous. Gorgeous animals. That's a snake I want to see in the wild. I like I chain kings. They're just psychotic. Oh, yeah, they're batty. But I would love to see an Outer Banks king in the wild, take some pictures, you know, in situ, and just uh, – that would make me happy. I would, I would rather do that than have <laughs> I just, it just, I, there's just some things that I'm just like, they see, I see a locality post and I'm like, we're doing that with these now. Like really, like but now locality thing is now etched its way. And I mean, it's also different if a certain locality is like considerably smaller than the rest, you know? It's, sure. We're not talking about the difference between Sulawasi retics and Jampea retics. Right. You know what I mean, we're talking about something that, Oh, it's 12 inches opposed to 13, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. I think people also, they, they get a hard on for knowing every little detail, which I can respect. I really can. You know what I mean? Or better yet, they don't want to, they want to diversify genetics. They don't want to do one from the next county over. They want to do it from 10 counties over or whatever, or they want to do it strictly from their county. I get that. You know, I understand that, but making it seem special that's that's, I guess that's I guess that's yeah. what I'm trying to get at, is like someone mm-hmm. trying to sell something as something unique or different when it's really not right. But hey, man, sales pitch is a sales pitch, you know. Like Conjos, obviously, your Beox are going to be different from your Arus. Your Manox are going to be different from your, uh, you know, Lare or whatever locality. But now, but again, but now you're talking about an animal that, that even to the untrained eye is vastly different. Some of them, yeah. Like you get into like those highland types, though it can be tough. Yeah. You get into the the sarongs and the manaquaris and the cyclops and the jayas and and stuff like that. That's when it kind of can be kind of tough. But it's I mean that's that's the other thing with that too that I've been pretty vocal about on Condrocast and stuff is, you know. Every single locality that we have in our collection, you know, the validity of that has to be, there has to be a degree of uncertainty because unless you went and got it yourself, you don't know for sure if that's, you know, if that animal was actually from that locality, if it was across somewhere else at a farm and then shipped out. Or better yet, it's like the scrubs and the chondros where that's not the locality, that's just where they ship them out from. Right. Like this, this locale, it's a locality, but that's just because they know that 
you know, scrubs or, or condors from that specific area tend to look like this. Right. right. Like there's sort of a phenotypic yeah. standard. Yeah. So now, all right. So I was talking to, I told you I was talking to Lawrence uh, about the Tanambar, yeah. right? Yeah. And he was instructed, he was informing me that it is a azanthic phenotype. Mm -hmm. So now, am I a bad guy if I just get the next Tanambar that I could find and breed him? No. You know? No, I think no. it would actually be kind of cool. Because, I mean, you look at it, they're all from the same island. Mm -hmm. nope. it's, not like, uh, it's not like one's from Sumatra and one's from PNG, you know? Well, that. And, I mean, if you're looking at Tanambars, you're not exactly – you don't have – it's not like those just show up on a Tuesday on the classifieds and you're like, yeah, I'm going to give you a tenor. True. Like, true. But you there are some have guys to get what you can take. But there are some guys that would say it's blasphemy. You know they're out there. Oh yeah, there's always snobs. You know? Somewhere. Or like the guy, the guy that breeds a gold white lip to a black white lip. Oh man. That's a fate worth death. Yep. 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 I'm interested to see what Owen does with his. I really am. Mhm. Mm I've been tempted yeah. to, to pursue those a little bit, but I don't think I'm going to. They just sound like they're too much of a pain in the ass. I'll be honest, man. The Laesis never really did it for me, man. I like the Sabus. If there Sabus was any, are cool. If there was any Laesis I was going to be doing, it would be those. And now let me ask you this. Do you remember – I mean, obviously, they've, they've become more scarce over the past, like, seven, eight years. Mm -hmm. Dude, I remember a time when Sabus were super chill snakes – and they were great pet snakes. They and were now also everyone, easy to get. Yeah. And now everyone I come across acts like a Maclots. I, I rarely see them for sale anymore. There used to be a time where you could come across them fairly easily. And now there's – it sounds – it's from what I can tell, there's very few people doing anything with them in the, in the country. It's like the numbers of people keeping them are slim. Yeah. And I yeah. think P and Cody have some. I haven't checked them out though, Nick, when I'm down there. Next weekend, I'm gonna see if I yeah. can check them out. They have some sort of license, so it might be Macklets. By the way, I will never chastise you for saying Macklets. Macklets, never. I'm saying Macklots. Oh, I'll never, God. I'll never chastise you. That's a, that's a regional dialect. Thank you. They don't understand. They just don't get it. It's just too chunky to Macklots. What was, what was the other one that you were saying? Anals. Anals. Annals. All right. So you just said it right, but there was an episode, I think, at THP where they were getting on you about annals. That Annals. I might make for. Annals. <laughs> annals, yeah. Annals. Apparently they're supposed to be called annals. Yeah. Like, there's annals. no H after that A. Annals. Regional dialect. Just whatever. I'm tired of fighting them on it. It's funny. Care. Yeah, I've been forcing myself to say IJ. Because I don't want to say West Papuan, but I find myself saying, oh, hey, did I tell you about the Papuan carpet? And then like, fuck, IJ, no. <laughs> IJs just, in, you know, Jaya's, I just call them Jaya's just because it it's so much easier. To, it rolls off the tongue better. Like West Papuan is just just like Macklitz. It's very clunky. Yeah. It's like my brain is like a little stutter step where it's like, ah, just mm -hmm. Macklitz. Let's streamline it. Yeah. IJs, Jaya's, Poplins. Are they even found in the Jayapur province? 
I don't believe they are. For some reason, I'm thinking Popwins on Pop were actually found in like the southern half. Yeah, yeah that's what I thought too. South yeah, of the mountain range. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was something I was I was uh I was at Underground like maybe six months ago, and they had some Jayapura carpet or excuse me Jayapura chondros, and uh, they were captive bred, and they they looked great. They did. Mm-hmm. And uh, some lady called up and was like asking the manager there, asking him, oh, how do you know it came from here? And blah, 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 blah. He's like, listen, they're called Jayapura because they come from the Jayapura region. It's like, but did it come from Jayapura proper? And like she started, he, I, she had on speakerphone, sorry, here, you know, the store, the customers couldn't hear, but I could because I'm in the back in the office. And out of curiosity, we went on Google and saw how big. Jayapur provinces, dude. It's like ten U.S. counties. It's huge, crazy. But that goes back to your that goes back to your thing about feeling special, you know, thinking you got something. You know, it's more maybe it's more meaningful. The exclusivity of things. That's the word. That's the word. Exclusivity. I mean, I'd do it with the Bairds, but, you know, the, the Loma Altas that I have look completely different from the Mexicans, from the other two sure. unknown pairs. It was like, that's a Loma Alta Bairds, because that's what we know what the Loma Altas look like. Exactly. That's like, uh, not to go back to cottonmouths, but Florida cottonmouth is its own subspecies. Mm-hmm. The ones that come out of Dade and Broward, dude, they're jet black, man, jet black. The ones that you get up by like Orlando and stuff, they still have some brown hues and textured pattern. Mm-hmm. They're both Floridas. They're right. the both subspecies. But now I'm not gonna be like, oh man, this is a Dade County. Mm. Dade County cottonmouths line up, get them while they're hot. Get them while they're hot. Buy two. Get one free. I think so I, what? No, say what you're gonna say. I said I, I think we've we've covered what we wanted to cover. I think we did. I think we went on a couple tangents that a couple soapboxes that may have needed to happen due to recent events. But uh, I thought it was, good. was. Yeah. I must wake up early to take child to school. Hey, she's not sick anymore, right? No, she's fine. Good. Yep, she all good. Well, I enjoyed tonight. I thought it was a good a good episode. And uh, thank you to all who are still watching and who did watch. And yeah, we'll do this again soon. That's right. Closing remarks. Brennan says, I really think locality specific makes them healthier too. Because Sean said, a plus for knowing locality, even if they look the same, is outcrossing for genetic diversity. I can agree with that. Yeah. You're here. I'll drink to that. I'm I'm out. Mine's gone. My pinky is gone. It was like a shot and a half, so. <laughs> All right, man. Have a good night. I'll catch you later. Take it easy. Good night, everybody.